Answer me this. Rules were meant to be broken, right or wrong? The answer to that question really depends on who's giving those rules and are they worth following. Now, this reminds me of a TV show I saw growing up. It's called The World's Strictest Parents. I was really engrossed with it. It's a reality TV show, maybe because I thought I probably should have been on the show in some regards. But actually, it's a reality TV show where it takes two teenagers, so two troubled teens from the UK, and places them in a new family for two weeks in different parts of the world. So it's not the same two individuals, it's two different teens each week. And the idea is that you take no rules and rules and put them together and then you watch the chaos ensue. But for me, what I took away from that, I always found the most important day on that two-week period was day one. It was the day when ground rules were set in place. Now, it's interesting to watch these new parents setting out the expectation for these teenagers. They're telling them what they need to do and what, what their desires are for them over the next two weeks. There is something in setting boundaries that communicates love, care, and protection. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever stopped to ask yourself, ask yourself that question? What does actually God expect from me? Now, we're going to unpack that today. We're going to look at what it actually means to be part of God's family. But also, we're going to ask that question. What does God actually expect of you and of me? Now, we've been looking at Exodus over the past few weeks. And we're, in terms of the story, we've kind of paused on the way to the promised land. We've paused at Mount Sinai now. We're not moving. We're stationary. So God is now setting his expectations for his people. He's kind of setting the ground rules. He's having his day one with his people. Now, he's also delivering on the promise made to Abraham. And that is that he would make his descendants into a great nation. So we get to actually experience the how. How does this happen? Now, if you're practically minded, you, you like to see things in motion. Well, we get to see this promise take on a bit of an operational focus. It takes on like a civil and social focus at this stage. Now, I know we've looked at Exodus in different capacities over the last, over the last few weeks. We've looked at Moses. We've looked at Pharaoh. We've looked at the, the plagues of Israel, <clears throat> the plagues of Egypt, sorry. And we've seen how God has taken Israel out of Egypt. And now he's giving them his ground rules and how he wants them to live before they enter the promised land. Now, if you're reading with me, you can turn to Exodus 20, verse 12 to 17, and we're going to look at what God says to his people. Honor your father and your mother so that you, you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, for me, it's really important, and especially those who pray, to hear directly from God. That is what the Israelites got here. They got to hear directly from God. They were given their national constitution. That is a widely accepted agreement that they were going to live this way going forward. Now, when we read the Ten Commandments, we tend to look at it two ways. One, we make it personal, 
and we treat it maybe a little bit like a tick box exercise. Like, what is the bare minimum I need to do to kind of get over the line? Or the other way is you actually look at the fine detail and you think, wow, this is quite difficult. Maybe I'll just, I'll just take a step back. I'll dismiss this altogether. There is a third option we fail to consider. That is the why. Ask the question, why is this verse in the Bible today? Now, we're going to look at Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6, to actually explain as the reason why this is there. But I know for Everyday Online, Elizabeth covered this a couple of weeks ago. She unpacked it. But there's two key themes I want to pull out of these verses. Let's have a look at them together. So that is Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, it's important for you to actually establish the why you're doing what you're doing. It creates a foundation on which you can build on. That means when things get difficult, you won't sway left and right. I'm not sure if you heard it correctly within those verses, but God is actually calling you to be part of his family. He's calling you to be part of his story because he loves and cherishes you. Did you hear how he said that over you? He said, you are my treasured possession. Some of us in this room, wherever we are right now, need to hear those words that you are valued. God loves you. You are his treasured possession. Now he goes on to say the second thing that I wanted to draw out from those verses is that he is creating a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, when you think of priests, we're probably thinking, do I need to go join a monastery or do anything like that? When God calls people into priesthood, he's calling them, he's setting them apart to do God's work. That is, we need to lead by example in this area. And there is no age restriction. So it's a call for all of us. Now, these words were given to the Israelites, but they have direct application for us today. The Apostle Peter actually gets hold of these exact verses. In 1 Peter 2 to 9, he gets hold of them and he actually applies it not just to himself, but to the early church. It actually goes from having a personal application to having a wider collective application. Now, these laws communicate something of God's love. It shows that he cares and it shows that he wants to be near his people. I wanted to look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 6 to 8, and hear how this is expressed to us as well. It says, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great to have their God near them, the way the Lord our God is near us? whenever we pray, whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Now, it's right for us to ask, what does God actually want from us? What he's asking from you today is obedience. He wants you to follow him. 
He wants, you to, he wants to be the leader of your life. Don't skip over these words. These 10 commandments were instructions to people on how to live. But the six that we are looking at today is really about building a community together. Now, I've used the word community because there's a clear shift from an I to a we here. But when I say community, what do I mean? When I think of community, I think of a group of people, usually either living in a similar place or share a same space. It could be online. But there's particular characteristics that you find common amongst these people. Either they look the same or they believe the same things. Now, by definition, that means you and I are part, have been part of communities. That's either being a father, a mother, a brother, a sister. But I wonder, if you've ever thought about it, what role are you playing in the lives of the people around you today? Now, the way we behave has a direct impact on the people around us. And our attitude towards others is usually a reflection of our hearts, but also a reflection of our hearts towards God. Now, every day you might hear people summarize this in that their walk with God is about connecting up with him, connecting in with his people, and connecting out with the world around them. Now, the, over the last weeks, we've actually looked at the first four commandments, which really is a direct connection between you and God. It is the connecting up phase. Now, today, we're looking at the remaining six. That is more about connecting in with his people and also looking at the impact on those on the outside as well. Now, I'm going to strum the line. We're going to probably bounce through it throughout the course of our talk. But there is a personal responsibility being placed on us here, as well as a collective one. So when you hear people say, that's not what I expect of a Christian, that is what they're putting their finger on. They're questioning what you're about. Now, these six commandments are really about building a godly community. Now, being in church is a good start. I mean, listening to myself, listening to any Bible-based preacher is a good start. But there are other options. Now, every day you might hear of joining a life group. If you've never been part of one, I would highly recommend it. Life groups are basically smaller groups, usually meet in people's homes. It's where you get to go deeper into God's word together. But the real power of actually being a life group is actually when you apply the Bible to personal aspects of your life. And when you see other people do that, this is kind of where you see iron sharpens iron because it's when you can actually question and challenge one another and grow in God together. Now, there are other forums like Zoom prayer meetings and Ask prayer meetings, and these are all communities of people gathering together in the name of God, either to step in the gap for others or reflecting on the community that they're part of. But ultimately, all these bits of activity are just a sign of obedience. This is you basically saying that you're committed to God's word, and you're committed to growing amongst his people. Now, my own personal walk with, with godly communities, I'd probably say has changed a lot depending on the stage of life I've been in. As an early Christian, I was probably a single man. Um, so it was probably met with a little bit of fear and apprehension. The fear probably came from the fact that I wasn't very confident, one, but also there was a sense of, I may, get I may be rejected based on who I am. People don't know what I've done. But I felt God challenged me over the years on that. I went from being someone who'd 
hide himself to someone who actually plugged himself in, joined the life group, joined the serving team, to really embracing all that God had for me in this space. Now it's changed. It now focuses probably more on family and family life. I remember sitting in one of the elders' house. This is before I had children. And we were discussing raising a family. And this was a point where I knew we were, myself and my other half, um, she was pregnant and we were going to have our firstborn. And we were actually going to welcome a child with special needs. Now, this is probably where my insecurities you know, were raging, were going all over the place. But what came to the fore during that conversation was that I wasn't actually worried about being a parent. I think mentally I was prepared for that. But it actually was the environment in which I would be placing this child. How would people treat them? Would they make them feel welcome? Or would they reject them? But those concerns were completely dispelled. I mean, this is many years later. I can only commend people every day. Because every time I've seen I've seen my family in this context. That's what I've been, I've been blessed with. I've been blessed with a wider family. When I, bring people, when I bring my family into the church, it's not us joining a club. It's us joining the wider net of our family. Now, my challenge to you today is, are you fostering an environment where people feel loved, protected, cared for? Because if you're not then what are you communicating? Now, we've been talking about these six commandments that we're going to look at. So let's talk about them in a little bit more detail. So the first one we're going to look at is from Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land the Lord is giving you. Now, the outworking of this verse can look different at different stages of your life from when you're young to when you're a young adult, to when maybe even you're an older adult. But when we talk about honoring our, our mothers and fathers, we're talking about giving them their due respect. Now, as a child living in your parents' household, what that would probably look like, and even if you're a bit older and you live in your parents' household, what that looks like is actually polite submission and obedience to God's word. Now, the operative word is in keeping with God's word. That is because we're also going to look at another verse that unpacks this for us in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, verse 3 to 4. I like this particular verse, not only because it unpacks what we looked at in Exodus, but it also sets some boundaries around this relationship. So let's look at it. Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that you may, it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, this dynamic relationship between parent and child, it is unique. But parents, don't be mistaken. There is a direct responsibility for you here to raise and nurture your children in the Lord. It is a high calling. I must admit, this particular verse, the one in Exodus, I am very familiar with, especially as a young adult. It's the one that was quoted at me the most. It's the Bible verse I probably knew before I even knew it came from the Bible. It gives you a bit of insight as to what kind of teenager I was growing up. 
But the reason why I love those two verses side by side is because it addresses the power dynamic in this relationship. Because if you're an obedient child, it does actually leave you quite vulnerable. And hence, as a parent, you're called not to be thoughtless or not to be domineering. The idea is that you're mirroring the relationship that you'd find even in a marriage between a husband and a wife, or even Christ and the church. And where one person is, one party is submissive, but the other party covers them in sacrificial love. Now, if you're a child, you're thinking, well, why do I have to do all this? This is a lot. But that's because God is creating a just and godly society here. This is what he desires. Now, you may get frustrated, and let me give you this warning up front. Do not get physical or curse your parents. The Bible speaks quite severely on this and calls it a grave sin. And in some cases, as your parents get older, there is a call to actually provide for them if you're in a position to do so. Now, remember, this is the only commandment we're going to look at with a promise attached to it. Remember it said that your days may be long in the land God has given you. So it's not us trying to earn salvation by doing extra tasks. We're not even trying to do extra tasks so we can get a few extra years. It's really about God's presence being available in your life and you gaining his favor. Now, the, the way we treat others is a reflection on the type of people that we are, especially for those who have sacrificed for you in the past, like a parent or parents. Just remember... Who looked after you when you couldn't look after yourself? Now, there are four key principles I like to adhere to in this area. Now, the first one is be someone who is worthy of respect. Take responsibility. Raising children in the Lord and being obedient in, in accordance to God's word is not easy. The second one is earn their respect. Give in this area sacrificially because you know it's challenging. The third one is operate with grace because you know people will fail. There are those probably who are listening to me right now who are feeling like I've been shortchanged by my parents. They haven't done what you're saying. Or on the other, heart, other side is I actually am disrespected by my, by my child. What I would say to you is Operate with grace. Give them opportunities to come back. And the fourth principle is operate with love. Now we're called to treat others how we want to be treated ourselves. But remember, if you were older, there was a point where you were younger and you've made those mistakes. And remember, if you're young, you will eventually one day be old. So tread carefully and love each other well. Now, in the sake of efficiency, we're going to look at the next three commandments together. So that is about murder, adultery, and stealing. Sounds like a great novel. <laughs> but this was the bare minimum expectation of the Israelites. This is so you could classify them as a just society. They were meant to be holy people, right? It's actually in keeping with what is said in, about them in Deuteronomy, that they're meant to love the Lord the God with the Lord the God, their God with all their hearts, with all their soul, and with all their might. Now, when I'm talking about killing, it actually comes from the root word in Hebrew, ratzak, which captures any unlawful and any immoral killing of any other human being. 
Hence, we translate it to the word murder. It also captures death by negligent behavior as well. Now, for committing adultery, it's actually not simply about the direct action. There is a wider concern about sexual sin in this area. Discipline in this area of your life is really important because God is actually protecting the integrity of his people. Now, God isn't simply looking at your deeds in this area. He's actually looking at the purity of your heart. And now for stealing, God is asking the Israelites, and he's asking us as well, to respect our neighbor's property. Our call not to steal isn't simply limited to not taking people's things. That's quite simplistic. But what we're meant to do, we're meant to embody we're meant to embody God's love in this area. And God loves strangers. He loves your neighbor. So we're meant to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus even addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. He actually teaches his people what it means to be a child living in God's new kingdom. And there's two words when you read the Sermon on the Mount that kind of spring up at you. One is that he is merciful. And the other, that he thirsts for righteousness. So there must be a healthy balance between the two. Now, if you're of a different mindset, you're thinking, well, I kind of know some of this. I mean, I'm okay, Mecca. Look, I'm not killing anyone. I'm not stealing. And I'm not having any affairs. I should be okay, right? Well, actually, Jesus turns up the dial on these, on these commandments. It's actually simply not, it's not simply about not killing someone. Jesus calls you to not be angry with your brother or sister. Now, in the Bible, it references this in, in Hebrews in the word was it raka, which means foolish talk, insulting someone. And in some instances, we are called to reconcile with our brothers and sisters before we approach God. There might be a call for you to make amends and to reconcile today. And for those who are thinking about adultery, kind of, I'm okay in this area. Well, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery with her. Now, if you've got a problem with pornography, don't hide it. Do something about it. Talk to someone. Tell someone. Someone that you know and someone that you trust. The people of God are not here to judge you. They're here to bring peace and restoration through Jesus. Now, what we can end up with is a bit of behavior modification. We hear of what you shouldn't do, so you think, oh, I'll step around it. I'll just do some certain actions that avoids me falling into these traps. Now, the Israelites do exactly that. They're given the Ten Commandments. They say yes to them initially. But later on in the passage, we find that they've now melted their gold down and turned it into a golden calf. That just breaks the first commandment of having no other God but the Lord. So our call is to be like Jesus, not just to adjust our behavior to fit a narrative, but it's actually calling for us to change our hearts. And you can only do that through knowing Jesus. Now, our fifth commandment is a call for us to not bear false witness against our neighbor. This shows a little bit about God's character here. And it's backed up when we look at Proverbs because it tells us what he likes and what he dislikes. Let's look at that together. That is Proverbs 6, verse 19, 16 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates, 
seven that are detestable to him. Haunty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. We're meant to be the people of God. So we're supposed to reflect God's character in this area of our lives. That is righteousness and justice. So even for the Israelites at the time, this should be evident among them, that they shouldn't be lying. They shouldn't be speaking out falsely in order for their own personal gain. And they shouldn't be perverting the course of justice. Now we're going to look at the last commandment, which is probably the most interesting of the lot, because all the other ones are focused on what you do. This one focuses on your heart. It's the only one where if you break the rule, the tendency you'll end up possibly breaking all of them. Let's remind ourselves of what it says. In Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, there's nothing wrong with having wants and desires, but there is a fine line between having a desire and becoming coveting or having a covetous relationship with it. Now, the key for me here is that when, when the item of desire that you have starts to overshadow the relationships you have in your life, I feel like you're actually striving and tending to steer into a coveting relationship with the item. It can give you motivation to do things like murder, lie and stealing in order to gain whatever it is that's in your heart for this. Now, the best way to think about it is that anything that takes God's place in your heart is something that you've coveted. The Bible speaks quite strongly about this. It calls it idolatry. And that actually breaks the first commandment, which is to have no other God but me. Now, I want to address a particular mindset. So this is the individual that is aware of the Ten Commandments. He knows them. He's like, well, I'm okay. I kind of, I'm okay. I'm a good person. I can balance out the good deeds from my bad deeds. I'm a good person in general. I should be rewarded with eternal life. Why not? Well, the good thing is that Jesus addresses this individual directly in Matthew 18, verse 16 to 22. Now, I'm going to read these verses, but I want you to pay very close attention to what Jesus says to this individual. Just then, a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Fair question. Which ones? He, he inquired. Jesus replied, the ones we looked at, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. His response. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus replied, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your, your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Almost in one sentence, 
Jesus exposes his heart. If you remember, all Jesus asked him was, sell all your possessions and come and follow me. Well, give it to the poor and then come and follow me. This really just showed this young man exactly how far he is away from God. Remember, he told us before that he had kept all the commandments. But guess what? He broke the first one and he put money in the place of God. God says, put no other God before me. We live in a strange world right now and where there's a really strong sense of individualism and a focus on ourselves. We live with statements like this. God will give me the desires of my heart. But have you ever stopped to question, what is actually in your heart? Do you have the same longings and wants and desires as Jesus? Do you care for others the way he cares for us? Now, if you were to have an interaction with Jesus, which area of your life would be highlighted in one interaction that could potentially unravel your whole world? Now, as I close, the law, i.e. the Ten Commandments, just reminds us exactly how far we are away from God. It's a call and it shows us the type of people that God is calling us to be. And we are powerless to bridge this gap by ourselves. Jesus is inviting, he's inviting you, he's inviting me to be part of his family, to be part of this chosen people that he so longed for and so desires. Now, no matter if you're a little rule breaker or a big rule breaker, we all fall short of the glory of God. Now, when we get honest with ourselves, you think, actually, who am I and what am I truly capable of? That's when we actually can find Jesus. My son likes to do this sign in Makaton for broken, broken, broken. It's almost like he's saying it prophetically. When you understand that you are broken, your life is broken, is that when you need, you'll see that's when you need a savior. And the savior that fulfills all the laws, all the commandments, because when you make your own rules, you can't even keep them yourself. Jesus is calling us to connect up with him today and to connect in with his people before we ever even think about looking out. Our call as a collective is to be a community of people that believe in God. We expect our worship up to him so we can love those around us. We can connect in with them and then we can express our love to the rest of the world. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for the Ten Commandments. I thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you truly treasure us as your possession, and you put guidelines and rules and regulations to protect us. You create an environment for us to thrive in, and you give us love that we can express to the world around us. Help us to always look to you, always know that your presence is what we are seeking and what we desire. And I thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who shows us the way. He shows us not only how to behave, he shows us how to love, he shows us how to dwell with others, and he shows us how to, how to put out God's grace when we feel shortchanged. I pray, Lord, for your mercy and your righteousness to be with us at all times. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.